The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answers Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answers Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Benjamin Brandt. Uh, He is president of Capital City Wealth Management. Uh, He's a retirement uh, planning expert and a certified financial planner based in Bismarck, North Dakota. Welcome to the show, Ben. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. Let's just start with your background a little bit and how you became the financial planner you are and kind of your, your whole path to where you are now. Well, I think my path to becoming a certified financial planner is almost uh, cliched at this point. You know, I delivered pizzas and washed cars in high school, and then it was straight on to the Army, and then after that, a financial planner. So <laughs> uh, maybe that's a story told a thousand times. But uh, I became a financial planner because I saw that there was a great need with people that didn't really understand where their retirement checks are coming from. and um, and I uh, had my own personal experience with my grandma. My, my grandpa was the kind of guy, maybe he's a lot like me, but he had, uh, you know, all the files and he went to all the broker appointments and my grandma just sort of, uh, didn't pay attention, didn't have any interest in it whatsoever because grandpa took care of all of it. And then he's been, uh, he's passed away now 17 years and, and grandma's still around and kicking and, and without having her grandson as a certified financial planner. You know, she would have would have had no idea where her next retirement check is coming from. So I saw this big need, and and I wanted to wanted to um, teach people how to retire. Do you deal with people all over the country, or mostly in where you are in Bismarck, North Dakota? I would say we're equipped to deal with anybody anywhere, but uh, most of my clients happen to be in Bismarck. And what is the most pressing issue you're hearing from them today? Well, there's a lot of concern about the market. You know, the market's at an all-time high, so people have questions about, is this a good time to get in? Is this a good time to get out? Uh, which is a natural concern. You know, we, we're, our main focus is to create a plan that you understand well enough to stick with, whether the market's good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, but but that, that's just a natural tendency when you see your life savings going up and going down every day, that there's some anxiety that goes along with that. So let's kind of take a broad view of retirement in America these days. Are most people getting to retirement in pretty good shape, decent amount of assets, well-planned, they know what they're doing, their income is secure, or is it the opposite? Well, anecdotally, you know, people that we work tend to be, you know, fairly prepared, and maybe that's, you know, there's the saying that someone that buys a book on parenting tends to be a better parent whether they read it or not. You know, somebody that reaches out to a financial advisor might be better off financially just because they're in a headspace where they would call an advisor to get further guidance, right, to up their, their financial game. I would say, I would say though, that maybe counterintuitively, having, being prepared for retirement is really more about your headspace than your, than your net worth, uh, because I'm a, I'm a big believer in that you, you know, if you retire from something, you, you're only half right. You need to retire to something else. So it's really, in my opinion, way more about headspace than it is about uh, numbers. So how do you help people get their headspace, as you put it, ready for retirement? What are some of the steps that you take that allow people to retire to something? Well, we need to 
establish exactly why they're retiring. What is it that they're trying to accomplish? Uh, again, just you know, retiring because I don't like my boss or I don't like my coworkers or I'm bored with work or my brother retired so I think maybe I should retire. That's not going to get you as far as you think it is because if we fast forward six months down the road, whatever caused you to have some discontentment in your career, those things are going to be gone and you're still going to be left with an eight hour a day, 40 hour a week void. So we need to create some sort of why, what it is, what are we trying to accomplish by retiring? And if I can say the most common or the best outcome that I can create for a client is helping them to, to create a lifestyle that they don't actually need to retire from. So helping them transition from a career, which is what most of us have, to a calling, which if we do it right, then it doesn't seem actually like work. You know, this is something that we get up every morning and look forward to, uh, to doing. So well, sometimes that pays a financial, uh, you know, pays you a salary. Sometimes it doesn't. And that's where we have to start to calculate some of these numbers and do the, you know, fancy portfolio spreadsheets on the accounting software. But transitioning from a career to a calling would be the ideal outcome for retirement. So why don't you give me an example of somebody that you took from career to calling and how that whole thing worked out? As far as a specific example, that might be a little bit difficult because it could be giving some identifying uh, identifying resources. Just keep keep uh, it pretty general. That's all right. <laughs> but just to, well, get, to understand the process, as you say, improving their headspace so that that went, went well. I think I think people that are approaching retirement really really under underestimate the value of their resume. You know, they are this wealth of knowledge, and because they're surrounded by it every day, they probably don't see the value in that. But there's so much monetary value and then also spiritual value in your 20 or 30 or 40 years of experience. So when we help somebody craft that, a lot of times that shows up in either teaching or consulting uh, and, and sort of going back to work in that mode where they're uh, you know, they're not necessarily working for the company anymore as a plugged-in employee, but they're consulting with a team or a group. And they can do that, generally speaking, on their own time. They can do that seasonally, uh, and they can do that as an independent contractor. So, you know, generally speaking, if you were in the accounting field, it's, you hopefully had a passion for accounting, but maybe you didn't like the hours or the heavy workload from January to April. But if you retire and you can do it as a consultant, well, you can help out with a bigger firm during the busy times and you can take the rest of the year off and and you know we could help a client craft a lifestyle where they could do that and then of course anything that that earns income is going to help your portfolio stretch all the more farther you know in retirement you did a blog about uh, finding your retirement why and you say how can you add by subtracting what do you mean by that so add by subtracting uh, you know there's a new maybe you are upset with a new technology that, the, that they're rolling out at work uh, this is something my mom's a nurse and this is something she's expressed frustration in the past you know every five years or so uh, she's 60 let's see she was born in 1954 so she turned 62 uh, every five years or so they roll out this whole new technology suite for the hospital that she has to learn and and uh, she expresses her frustration that you know this is the last one I'm ever going to learn right so adding, you can't add by subtracting. You know, if we subtract that frustration out of your life, you don't have to learn any new technologies anymore. You know, we're not really adding anything. We're not, again, we're not retiring to something. So we're retiring in a way to avoid some sort of perceived, um, you know, misfortune or, or bad luck or, you know, something that's inconvenient in our lives. But that's not going to add to making our life better just by subtracting something that's negative. we got to add something positive intentionally or else uh, I think we're going backwards. You also talk about forming good habits in retirement. What are some good habits people should be uh, doing in retirement? You've got to formulate good habits. You know, when we, when we have a 30-year career, 
we're going to naturally form habits. We wake up at the same time, we eat the same breakfast, we take the same route to work. And, you know, we're, we're creatures of habit as human beings. When we retire, we're going to have this eight hour a day, 40 hour a week, 300 and you know, something days a year habit. So we need to go about creating new habits. Maybe that's a workout routine. Maybe that's waking up early and going, taking your dog for a walk. Or, um, you know, it could be a number of different things. But you've got to start to create those habits ahead of time. Because the number one thing that we want to avoid in retirement is boredom. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I'm bored, I, I go to Amazon.com or I, you know, I try to entertain my way out of this boredom hole. And that usually ends up with us spending money that we hadn't accounted for in our retirement budget. And that's one of the most dangerous things that you can do in retirement is sort of uh, boredom spending. So you want to create those habits ahead of time because that's going to keep you engaged and it's going to keep you from being bored. So you're saying it's a transition. It's not something you start after you retired, but you started before you retired. So by the time you retired, you've already been doing it for a while, whatever those habits may be. Yep. We, we want to create a transitional period. We don't want to rip off the Band-Aid because then, you know, once we're already retired and trying to figure this out on the fly, that's that could set yourself up for failure. So the more of these habits, uh, habits, hobbies, and personalities is what I like to say, the more of those we can identify, the, the smoother our transition is going to be to retirement. And what are some of the hobbies? And these, these are things I guess you're helping people to make these transitions. Right. What are some of the hobbies that you find people wanting to do that are rewarding longer term? So we try to guide people away from leisure hobbies like golfing. Uh, we, we learned that uh, by trial and error. Uh, so many of our clients were you know, keen to go golfing, uh, which may surprise you that, that there are quite a few golf courses up here in North Dakota. You can only use them a few months out of the year, but there's quite a few of them. But people six months into retirement look at me and they say, I'm absolutely sick of golf. You know, I thought it's something that I wanted to do every single day uh, for my retirement, but I got sick of it pretty quickly. So when we think about hobbies, we think about mentoring or teaching or uh, woodworking or, or something that you could do long term that, that gives you something that's a little bit more fulfilling uh, than something that's just strictly a leisure activity. And you talk about relationships as well. Uh, how do things change in relationships? Say the man has been working all these years and now he's home around the house. How, how do how do you make it go so the relationships improve instead of get worse in retirement when they're with each other more? That, that's that's an astute observation, right? We hear that all the time is that, um, you know, once people spend more time together, they can, most of the time it's good, but some of the time it, it's not so good where, uh, let's say two people have uh, separate retirement dates where you're going to retire at 62 and your wife's going to retire at 60. Well, uh, if, if one spouse sees the other still in bed while they're getting ready for work, right, that a lot of times changes changes that that retirement outlook that, uh, hey, you know, I want to I join you in retirement a little bit quicker. So, uh, But also the, the personalities and, and the people, uh, a lot of times uh, our clients that retire, they want to do some full-time grandparenting or they want to do some traveling with the grandkids and things like that. So identifying those things ahead of time and, and sort of letting your family members know that, you know, this is something I'd like to do or like to explore part-time in retirement, uh, you can start to set up those schedules and those hobbies and start to know what you're getting into and let your family members know before you actually get there. And then you talk about finding your post-retirement purpose. Are these things you want to write down before you retire so you can kind of transition into them and this is something you help people do? Absolutely. You know, your last couple of years of retirement, you're going to want to identify specifically what those are because you're going to need to set that groundwork. You know, if you just jump with both feet into retirement and then try to figure it out, you know, you, I really think you're going to have an uphill battle. You know, you're going to want to make those connections and do that networking well ahead of time uh, and then and then lay out, uh, you know, lay out what that plan might be to get there. So that maybe that's 
you know, most people think approaching retirement, the last thing they're going to want to do is update their resume. But if they're going to want to do some teaching or cons- or some consulting or something like that in retirement, that's that's prime time to start to to lay the 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 groundwork to do that. You have a, a website called retirementstartstoday.com. What are some tools on that website that can help people do what we've been talking about? Well, we've got a couple fun ones. Uh, if something seems interesting, I can go into more detail. But we have a checklist. If you're going to sign up for Social Security online, we have a checklist of all the documents you might need. We have our retiree toolkit, which is uh, some brainstorming activities, um, You know, thinking about which home are you going to retire in. Is it going to be your current house or are you going to downsize? What's your parents' financial situation, your kids' financial situation? You know, some of those brainstorming activities and then a budget that looks at early, middle, and late retirement and helps you forecast those out. Uh, and then I kind of have a fun download uh, as a resource. Uh, I always beat the drum of vetting your financial advisor properly. So I hired a private investigator to cyberstalk me online, and then I, I published that report to my website as well. Very good. All right, my, we're going to take a break now. My uh, guest this hour is Benjamin Brandt. Uh, he is a certified financial planner with Capital City Wealth Management based in Bismarck, North Dakota. Again, his website is retirementstartstoday.com. We'll be back after this. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Benjamin Brandt. He is a certified financial planner in Bismarck, North Dakota. Uh, His company is called Capital City Wealth Management, and his website is retirementstartstoday.com. Welcome back to the show, Ben. Happy to be here, Jordan. Thanks for having me. 
So you have something which you call naked investing. Sounds very exciting. Explain to me what naked investing is and how can that help you prepare for retirement? So, Jordan, the reason that we wear clothes is, of course, for modesty purposes, right? We all want to be appropriate. But we also wear clothes like our, our ancient ancestors invented clothes to protect them from, the, from the, the elements. And so I liken that same idea to investing. So many times I visit with a, a couple that's a few years from retirement and I look at their employer-sponsored 401k and I ask them, you know, why specifically are you invested in that healthcare mutual fund or that, uh, you know, that Vanguard large cap fund? And they say, I don't know what's, what my, my, my cubicle mate invested, invested in or that, you know, my brother's neighbor's uncle's cousin's plumbers said that was a good fund. And they don't really have a specific reason why that they're invested in that, in that fund. And I call that naked investing. And that's dangerous because they aren't investing under the guidance of a written financial plan. So they might think that they have a good portfolio at a 10% up year in the market, but at a 5% up year or a 5% down year, or like we've seen in the past, a 30% down year, now they're really going to start to question, why do I own these funds? And if they don't own them under the guidance of a written financial plan built around their goals, then they're naked investing. And they're so much more likely to jump out of their portfolio at the wrong time if they don't understand the specific reason of why they're in that portfolio in the first place. So I I strongly caution clients against naked investing. Don't put anything anywhere in the stock market unless you have a written financial plan telling you exactly why you should be doing that in the first place. So say somebody comes to you and they're going to show you the plan they've got with their company and these are the options I've got. I've got these index funds and these bond funds and guaranteed investment contract. How do you take those choices and then rationally allocate them with the client so that they're understanding what they're doing instead of, as you say, kind of a shot in the dark? Right. So, you know, in our first appointment, we wouldn't look at your mutual funds at all because it without the context of your goals, it means exactly nothing, right? Uh, We need to know what specifically we're trying to accomplish. So if we write down some specific goals and we talk about what specifically are we trying to accomplish by retirement, by retiring or in retirement, then we can start to say, okay, I think this is about the income that we would need. The the client tells me that I'm I'm not putting them on an allowance or anything, but we'd start to, to uncover what that income goal might look like and how far in the future it might be. And then we can start to say, okay, you know, we need this amount of cash, to protect us from the market downturns. We need this amount of bonds that will protect us in the intermediary. Uh, And then we need this amount of stocks. And the specific purpose of the stocks is because we need to grow the portfolio to this amount by age 80 and this amount by age 90 and this amount by the longevity that we've established is likely based on your parents' age and your aunts and uncles and things like that. So when they see that Vanguard large cap growth fund, they they don't see that eighty thousand dollars in that fund anymore they see i know i need that for this specific purpose of funding a 70 80 90 year old version of myself and my spouse so it becomes something totally different when the market turns south which it absolutely will eventually that's that's a foregone conclusion they can look at that mutual fund and say i expected that to go down we talked about this in in advance and that's acceptable to me because it's we've already accounted for in a written financial plan very good uh, now, you also uh, talk, uh, you mentioned briefly about a private investigator. Um, what do they find out when they stalk you online? <laughs> well, I, I publish the good, the bad, and the ugly. So uh, how this all came about is, you know, there's, there was this whole fiduciary discussion that I'm sure you've covered on your show in the past where some advisors have to act in your best interest legally and some don't, and it's a slightly looser standard called the suitability standard. And it has to do with selling sometimes inappropriate products and commission and things like that. So I had this brainstorm to find out what's the greatest length that a client could go to to vet me before they sign over their life savings. 
And how could I, you know, uh, how could I go deeper than that greatest uh, expectation, you know, of them vetting me? And I said, well, I'm going to hire a private investigator online and have them sort of cyber stalk me. Uh, and I was really amazed by the information that they were able to find out. They were able to find out who my suite mates were in college and what dorms at the University of North Dakota I stayed in, the VIN numbers of, of you know, the old beaters that I used to drive in, in high school and in college. And uh, there's a great level of detail. Uh, but I did, I left it all in there. I mean, I excluded the personal information so that, you know, Russian hackers don't, you know, steal my information or something. But, uh, you know, I, I got a couple speeding tickets that I have a very good excuse for, uh, like we all do. But I, I left it all in there. It's all in there. So the good, bad, and the ugly. Let's talk about fiduciaries a little bit. There's this new rule that's gone into effect from the Department of Labor called the fiduciary rule, which basically says that advisors are supposed to work in their client's interest before their own. This has been there's been massive resistance to that from the financial industry. What, what is your sense of is that a good idea or not to do this fiduciary rule, and and is it going to go fully into effect? It will go fully into effect. I, I think it's gone so far down the road of you know public comment and things like that. I really don't think you know there's when bureaucracy is involved, you can only go back so far, right? I mean, you can't really roll back a lot of these things. So it's going to go into effect. Uh, if the financial industry has their way, I'm sure it'll be watered down to some extent because there's a lot of money on the line, which means there's a lot of campaign contributions on the line. But I'm a firm believer in the fiduciary standard. Uh, my firm, Capital City Wealth Management, was the first ever, uh, according to, the, to, the, to NAPFA, which is the National Organization of Fee-Only Planners, we were the first ever in the state. So we're sort of trying to break some ground in our area. Our area is still very big on the suitability standard and selling products on commission and things like that, which I vehemently disagree with. Uh, not because I don't like commissions uh, on their face, it's because of the lack of transparency, right? You don't know if your financial advisor is selling you a product that pays them one-fourth of 1% commission or 14% commission. Uh, and you sort of just have to take them on their word and they don't have to disclose that to you. Um, so in my mind, as a skeptic, I don't know if my advisor is acting in my best interest or trying to catch up on his boat payments. Uh, and that's something a client needs to know ahead of time. So do you recommend only dealing with fee-only planners and never anybody who earns a commission on anything? Uh, there are some cases where commissions are good. Uh, I did some consulting with the VFW on a pro bono basis for, for the local VFW, and the commission solution was perfect for them because they wanted to buy a few bonds and hold them forever. And it really wouldn't make sense for them to pay an annual or a quarterly fee to do that. They just need to pay a broker a commission and then they can just let it sit for two or five or ten years, right? So I'm not totally against commission, but I would be more for a levelized commission because, again, this technically is all disclosed, but it's on page 42 of a 240-page prospectus, right? That's not in the client's best interest. They, they really need to know, just based on how products are designed, the good products don't need a 10% commission, right? It's the bad products that need a 10% commission in order for the agent to push them on their clients. So clients need to know this ahead of time because this is their life savings they're talking about. And there is such a lopsided... Um, there's such a lopsided possession of information. The, the agent has all the information, and he knows what's in the perspective, prospectus, and the client doesn't. So that, that's one of the rare cases, in my opinion, where you need the government to step in and say, we need to levelize this playing field a little bit and force these advisors or these salespeople that they need to act in the advisor's best interest. So it's, it's really more about transparency and removing the incentive to be nasty from the financial advisor um, than it is about you know getting rid of commissions. There's a place for commissions, not in my line of work, I don't think, uh, because the incentives can get pretty skewed, but I think uh, a fiduciary standard is a good standard and, and something that uh, retirees should be in favor of. 
what the financial industry says is, uh, in order if you put the fiduciary rule in, in full place, that the average American will not be able to be served by the financial industry. They're going to have to move all their advice to the millionaire plus to earn money on asset management fees. And uh, it, it's not worth it to deal with anybody with 100000 or less. And therefore, a lot of people won't get financial advice that they need. That's basically the financial industry's argument. What do you think of that? So they were supporting these investors at 100000 or less based on pure altruism, <laughs> if I'm understanding their motives. I don't agree with that at all. I think technology is going to step in. You're seeing uh, everybody roll out robo-advisor platforms, um, you know, Schwab, and I think Fidelity has one as well. And those are going to be more automated solutions that are going to serve the, the, the just getting started investor or the younger investor just as well as having an advisor you know, that you pay a 5% commission to for a mutual fund pick you out some active managers that charge you another percent per year. So um, I think like Betterment uh, would be another example, but those robo-advisor solutions are going to step in and, and, and solve that solution perfectly. Is that something you're using with your clients as a robo-advisor? I'm not. No, I use uh, Fidelity's or Custodian. I, I use uh, a, a nice mix of index funds and ETFs. I like to keep our costs very, very low especially since we're focusing on retirement income, people are living off of this money. So the cheaper we can get our fees, the more spending money that is for the end end client. So uh, if my fees were too high, that would cut directly into the amount that they want to spend. And that's what they saved the money up for in the first place, right? Uh, we don't use a robo-advisor. Uh, we use a rebalancing software that's built into Fidelity that sort of, it, it doesn't serve as its own robo-advisor, but it, it accomplishes those same things. A very inexpensive way to rebalance uh, and generate that cash that we're going to use as our retirement distributions. Uh, why do you like passive investing, like you mentioned, index funds over actively managed funds? The active managed funds so that they can beat the market and you're leaving a lot on the table by just kind of averaging and going along with what everybody else is getting. You know, if they say they can beat the market, I'll take them at their word uh, that they can. I know that statistically only about 80% uh, 80% of, it, of mutual fund managers don't actually beat their benchmark on a consistent basis. But again, since our clients are living off the money, you know, let's say we can establish that 5% withdrawal rate is sustainable for them in retirement. If my fees take up 2% of that, 1% to me as the advisor and 1% to the active managers, you know, that's reducing their income by you know, a third or, or thereabouts. And that's not why they saved up this money. So if I can get their portfolio costs down to a quarter of a percent, and then maybe my fee to three-fourths or 1% for managing this overall plan, that's so much more money that they can spend. And that's sort of the golden goose, uh, or I should say the, the brass ring of retirement planning, is that I can increase your spending rate without taking on any additional risk. And if that's a place that we can do it, uh, we really want to be about that. So you're saying active management is taking on more risk at higher cost, and that's why you're not doing it. That can be debated if it's more risk or not, but it's just more expensive. Uh, and so that's cutting into your spending. So, so we can spend more with the same amount of risk if we just reduce our expenses. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this week is Benjamin Brandt. He's a certified financial planner, uh, president of Capital City Wealth Management based in Bismarck, North Dakota. And his website, where you can find out more about him, uh, is retirementstartstoday.com. Uh, we'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Benjamin Brandt. He's the certified financial planner and president at Capital City Wealth Management based in Bismarck, North Dakota. Welcome back to the show, Ben. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, you were in the military. So how is preparing clients for retirement different than fighting in combat? That's a great question, Jordan. Uh, it, it's different. It, it's actually uh, directly opposite. So in the military, I was a, I was a combat engineer meaning that we did all things uh, regarding explosives. If you saw the movie Hurt Locker, uh, we, were, we were the people that went and found the roadside bombs. So we had to rely a lot on our training uh, so that when we came across a situation that was a little bit hairy, we didn't have to really think uh, before we acted. We acted on our training. Uh, relying on your training is something that the military really, really uh, enforces and, and talks a lot about. You know, there's actually five five steps to doing something as simple as, as shooting your, your, primary, uh, your primary weapon, right? You have to engage the target. You've got to uh, pause your breathing. You've got to rotate your selector lever from safe to semi. You've got to you know, squeeze the trigger. You, you've got to rely on your training uh, so that you can act without thinking. And it's funny because that's the exact opposite of how you want to coach somebody into retirement, right? In retirement, you want to think without acting. And some of the times, you know, and this is going to happen. If you've retired today, there's probably going to be a dozen times where you look at your portfolio and you're going to get a little bit scared because what was green last week is now red and, and you're starting to have some anxiety about your positions being down. But that's when we look at your written financial plan and we talk about, you know, we expected this to happen. This is still within the parameters of what we had planned for. And the best action is to probably take no action. So in the military, it was act without thinking, rely on your training. And in the financial planning retirement world, it is think without acting. So in many cases, it, it, the best thing to do is not to 
react to events or not to change things. When is it appropriate to make a change in a portfolio or kind of make a move based on what you see in the world? When life changes. You know, we don't write our financial plans in stone. Life changes all the time. People go back to work. Uh, people get an illness that says they're not going to live as long as we thought. Uh, people have kids that move back in. People have parents that move back in. So life changes all the time, and we change the portfolio to accommodate for that. What we don't want to change the portfolio for is things that are out of our control completely, like the stock market. Because most of the time, the vast majority of the time, that's temporary. So why would we want to make a permanent change to something that's likely affecting us in a temporary way. So portfolios change all the time. I can't think of very many portfolios if I've created several dozen or a hundred over the last 10 years that it is executing exactly as the way, uh, you know, the way that we planned. Our, our lives are dynamic and our portfolios need to be dynamic, but that doesn't mean we need to be reactionary when the market does something that throws us a curveball. So for example, right now, there's all this fear about what might happen with a war in North Korea and the insults are being thrown back and forth and they're threatening to wipe out Guam and we're threatening to wipe out them and the markets are very nervous on this. Gold goes up, people sell and go into cash. What? How should the average person who's not a kind of professional investor react to all this drama going on in this case with North Korea? I'm sure glad I live in North Dakota, right, right in the smack <laughs> middle of the country. It's, I feel pretty safe up here. <laughs> uh, I would say, you know, while that's a scary situation, is it any more scary than a gas crisis in the 70s or a financial crisis in 2008? I mean, it would probably be equally impactful to our portfolios. So if we're talking, you know, raw numbers and mutual funds, why don't we look at what would happen? Okay, so if the market goes down 20% and it recovers within a year or two, that's, that's generally what happens when we have these crises, right? So we look at our portfolio and say, I'm taking out $5,000 a month out of my portfolio. How many months wealthy am I if the market collapses? Well, if I've got five months worth of cash, I know that I can sustain X amount of small crises, right? If I, beyond that, I have X number of intermediate bonds or treasury bonds or something that's fairly low risk, then I know I'm X, numbers of X number of months wealthy beyond that. So it's just about modeling out these cash flows. Uh, hopefully, you're able to stretch your portfolio where you can get a year or two or three of fairly low risk cash bond equivalents, things like that, before we start to get into the stock things. You know, the stock items are what's going to grow your portfolio and be able to properly hedge you against inflation, right? Because a $5,000 a month, $60,000 your income today isn't going to feel the same if you're still taking $60,000 out, you know, even five years from now, let alone 15 years from now. So you've got to know specifically what the specific job of each item of your portfolio is. So if North Korea, uh, you know, blows up Guam and the market goes down by half, but it recovers in two years, a normal 60-40 retirement portfolio would probably be able to account for that as long as you didn't do anything crazy and your advisor is able to sort of talk you off the ledge um, and, and help you avoid making any permanent mistakes with your portfolio. Is this something that you do is talk people off the ledge and prevent them from doing rash things and, and based on fear and greed? Absolutely. I think that's the number one way that I would recoup uh, my fee for, for my, uh, I would recoup the fee that my clients are paying me over, over the lifetime. I think a lot of times people think when they're hiring a financial advisor, you know, I'm going to pay him 1% and so investments that would have earned 7 are going to earn 8, right? He's going to make it up on return and I, I don't agree with that at all. I think, I think the number one way that I'm going to earn my fee from my clients is by preventing them from doing anything silly. So that could be silly as far as getting too greedy in the portfolio and pursuing, you know, outsized return that we don't necessarily need. 
or to be cons too conservative and let inflation eat their portfolio alive or eat their income stream alive, but then also, you know, do things like jump out of the market completely because the market is, is scary and it's going to be scary a lot. Um, it, it always, you know, it's, it's always darkest before the dawn, right? We always think the, per the current situation that we're in is as bad as it could possibly get and why would you want to invest in that? But uh, I think preventing your clients from doing anything that would, you know, radically shake up their financial plan or from a portfolio perspective is the best um, the best way for, a, for an advisor to, to earn their keep. So a big problem for people today is income. If they keep their money in the bank, CDs, money market funds, savings accounts, and so on, they're pretty much going to earn zero or pretty close to zero. Right, that's, that's somebody, moldy money. Moldy money. For, so for people who are retired, who built up a decent amount of capital, what do you recommend for them to earn income so they can live off of their capital and not really touch their capital? Well, it doesn't have to be sexy. It doesn't have to be something that's uh, an alternative investment or very expensive or trying to beat the market or anything like that. I'm a firm believer in all of the return that we're going to get in our portfolio is going to come from the market broadly. So we want to pursue a broad, diversified portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds as sort of the, the you know, standard retirement portfolio, and I would, I would be a subscriber to that. We're going to pursue index funds. We're going to pursue ETFs, very low cost investing. If you could get your cost below half a percent, that would be great. If you could get them below a quarter of a percent, that would be even better. Um, you know, there's a lot of bogleheads out there that I can hear them nodding their heads. Uh, you know, Vanguard has been doing this for three or four decades already, so this isn't anything new. Uh, but we're going to have cash for the lean times, and we're going to have stock for times in the future, and we're going to rebalance frequently. It doesn't have to be anything more complicated than that. So what happens in a year like a 2008 when the market's dropping day after day after day? To keep your income going, do you have to be selling stocks at lower and lower prices to meet your income needs? If we have 100% equity portfolio, we would have to do that, and I wouldn't recommend that. So we're going to have uh, very non-sexy, boring investments on the front end that's going to look a lot like bonds and cash. And those aren't going to shoot the lights out on good years, but they're not going to crater on the bad years. So we're going to spend those and we're going to calculate ahead of time how many months wealthy are we? You know, how many months wealthy would we have need to have been in 2008 in order to not sell our stocks when they're down? And then just through simple rebalancing, if we keep lots of bonds and cash, which in good years will drag down our return, I mean, we have to identify that ahead of time. But just through simple rebalancing, uh, as long as we know how many months of cash and, and bonds we need, we can actually buy the stock market on the dip when these bad times, which are inevitable, will happen. So we spend the front end and grow the back end, to answer your question. Another source of income in retirement is Social Security. Uh, what is your view about when people should take Social Security? You have a calculator on that, but just some general advice on that. And are you concerned about the long-term viability of Social Security? I'm not concerned about the long-term viability of Social Security. You know, there's a, a dozen different things that they could do to, quote-unquote, fix Social Security. Social Security can never really run out of money because of the way it's structured, right? It's structured through a dedicated payroll tax. So as long as, uh, you know, I'm 36 next week, uh, I plan on working another 34 years or so. So as long as I'm working, you know, I'm kicking money into the system every two weeks when I take a salary. That money goes right to, to retirees. So as long as there's somebody working and paying payroll tax, mathematically, Social Security just can't run out because there's new money coming in every week, new money going out every week. It can't really run out. Now, there are some forecasted uh, pitfalls. You know, sometime in the 2030s, I think, it's going to, you know, quote, unquote, run out of money. But what that really means, and you can find this on your Social Security statement if, if you read the fine print, it really just means something about 70 cents on the dollar is, is guaranteed. So, you know, your quote-unquote worst-case scenario, if they do nothing, is a 30% haircut from the amount that, that you've put in and, and been projected to collect in retirement. 
So that's another reason why I'm such a big advocate of waiting until full retirement age, which is 66 or 67 for most of the people that are hearing this, or even further, wait until age 70 and get a 25% increase on, on their Social Security benefit. And that kind of flies in the face of what I hear from a lot of clients is that, boy, if I'm convinced Social Security is going to run out, uh, I need to collect it as quick as I can. And to me, logically, that doesn't make any sense because you can collect it at 62 and take a 25% penalty. But then if what you say is going to happen, if your greatest fears are, are realized and you take another 30% haircut off of that to uh, because Social Security ran out of money, now you're closer to 50%. So why wouldn't you want to take, if this is a foregone conclusion that Social Security is going to run out of money, we're going to lose some of our benefit, I want to grow that benefit as big as possible and then take a reduction based off that amount. So I think yeah. if people's fears are, are, they come true and they're validated, we can still create a financial plan around that. And for most people, especially that high income earner, I want to grow that check until full retirement age at 67 or even better, when we can figure this out through doing a written financial plan, to age 70. Yet most people don't. I think only about 2 or 3% of the people take it at 70 and something yep. like 40% take it the, moment, the first moment they can at 62, something like that. So they're mostly not taking your advice. That's human nature, but I don't think it's right. Okay, very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Benjamin Brandt. He is a certified financial planner, president at Capital City Wealth Management based in Bismarck, North Dakota. And his website is um, retirementstartstoday.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Benjamin Brandt. He's a certified financial planner and president at Capital City Wealth Management based in Bismarck, North Dakota. His website is retirementstartstoday.com. Welcome back to the show, Ben. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks, Jordan. So in addition to your website, you also have a podcast. Tell us a little bit about that and what kind of topics you talk about on your podcast. So the podcast is Retirement Starts Today Radio, and we answer the questions on the minds of the modern retirees. So we talk about the sharing economy. We talk about investing in Social Security and finding your retirement why and transitioning from a career to a calling. And we interview all sorts of interesting people that are experts in their own field. And, and it's all around retirement topics. You know, that's our focus as a firm. We don't deal with very young clients or very old clients or, you know, very, very wealthy clients. So we deal with one very narrow subset of, of, uh, of the human population. So our podcast reflects those same, uh, those same goals. Very good. Now, typically there's what's called the 4% rate where you withdraw 4% of your capital every year in retirement. Do you think that still makes sense today or is that outdated? We've got a recent podcast. I interviewed a buddy of mine about it just a few months back if people want to check that out on the podcast. I think it is valid. You don't want to plan your whole life around it. I mean, it's a rule of thumb after all. Uh, so you can you know, look at your portfolio and say, okay, I've got a million dollar portfolio. What's 4% of that? $40,000 and then Social Security is good for another 20000 You know, can I live on 60000 a year? So you can sort of do that retirement math on the back of a napkin and, and sort of find out if you're on the right track or not. Um, if you're off by 50% or if you're, you know, doing twice as good, then, then you know, you know you, you, you've got some dialing in to do. But that's the point where you meet with a financial advisor and you make those numbers your own, uh, where we transition from a rule of thumb to actual hard data. Let's talk about life insurance a bit. So a lot of people do not have enough life insurance if something were to happen to them for their dependents and their kids and so on. What is your view of life insurance as far as term versus cash value? When should you get it? How long should you keep it? Well, I'm happy to give my opinion on life insurance. Uh, I'm happy to say it's an unbiased opinion because we don't sell any financial products of any type, including life insurance. Uh, We give only, we're fee only, right? I think we mentioned that. But uh, I love life insurance for people that need it. And I love term life insurance. I just bought a couple million dollars of term for something like $70 a month. Uh, and a lot of that's based on height and weights. And I, I'm 35, like I said, having a birthday coming up here. So it's unlikely that I'm going to die. So it's, it's a, a low risk, which means low premium, right? Insurance is just a transfer of risk from a person to an insurance company through risk pooling and things like that. Uh, so if you're young, if you have people that depend on you, if you've got a mortgage, uh, if you're saving for retirement, right? These are all liabilities that we haven't reach the finish line for yet. Uh, so we need insurance to cover that. And life insurance, term life insurance, I think is the best way to do that. Uh, I think insurance has its own purpose. That's to cover risk. And our investments have their own purpose. That's to grow our net worth for future needs. I don't see any purpose uh, for the vast majority of the population to combine those two into cash value life insurance, variable universal life, equity indexed, super duper fantastic life, whatever new product they're coming out with next. I don't see the purpose. Uh, Insurance is to save us money in an emergency and our investments are to make us money. And there's no reason to combine the two. So now once we get to retirement, that's where we sort of have this passing of the baton, right? Of life insurance to some other sort of risk. Maybe that's long-term care insurance. Maybe that's Medicare supplement insurance. Maybe that's some other type of insurance. But 
once we've got our house nearly paid for, once we've got our investment accounts nearly fully funded, and we're towards the end of our career, meaning our ability to earn income uh, is limited because we've got a year or two or five left to retirement, that need for insurance is completely different now. And in, and in most instances, when people approach retirement or when they hit retirement, they are self-insured. Uh, Dave Ramsey uh, often uses the example, if I drive a $1,000 car and I have $1,000 in the bank, if the state of North Dakota didn't mandate that I had property and casualty insurance, I wouldn't need insurance, right? I just, I wreck the car, I replace it with that earmarked savings. Once we hit retirement, you know, we've proven to ourselves through a written financial plan that we've covered all of those needs and we don't need our income anymore. Thus, we don't really need our life insurance anymore. So uh, I say retirement, you graduate from your life insurance. Uh, of course, you need a fully funded emergency fund to take care of some of those other things. Uh, but I don't think people need life insurance for the most part. I can't. I don't want to give everybody advice without having met them because that wouldn't be a good fiduciary behavior. But I don't think most people need life insurance in retirement. As long as your dependents aren't dependent anymore. Once the kids are self-sufficient, then you're saying it's fine to drop your term insurance, basically. Once the freeloaders are offloaded, uh, your money is now yours. <laughs> I'm not sure they would consider themselves freeloaders, but I guess that's what <laughs> Uh, another thing you like to talk about is what's called pension maximization. So some people have pension plans today, traditional, although it's becoming a declining number of people. A lot of people have 401ks. How do you maximize the pension that you're getting, you're building up during your working years? Right. So if you have a pension, you're right. There's only a few companies in town, uh, some of the rural electric cooperatives, and then, of course, the state that offer pensions. Most people are going to be completely on their own, you know, saving up through traditional means, 401k, Roth IRA, things like that. But how I like to approach pension uh, pension planning, pension versus lump sum, is I don't like to look at the math first. I like to look at what specifically are we trying to accomplish, and then does the pension allow for that? Uh, so I would ask questions like, what is your longevity? You know, are you planning on spending much more or much less than your current uh, lifestyle? Uh, and things like that. And then circle back and do some of the math. As far as pension max, that's a specific term that says, should we take the full payout based on single life? and then buy life insurance to cover that need. Um, in some cases, you can actually do that. Um, now, again, we don't sell life insurance, so you probably would want to talk to an agent about that that, that's, that focuses on this specifically. But in some cases, I don't know if it's the actuarial tables that don't, there's some arbitrage available where you can get a $500 raise by taking the single life pension, but only pay $200 a month in life insurance uh, to, to cover that risk that you die too soon. So there's some pension arbitrage that can be had in certain, certain situations, and that, that's what uh, financial advisors refer to as pension max. Let's talk about taxes for a bit. Uh, do you think that the tax code is going to have a major change, and how should people plan on that, uh, on what they're going to be paying in taxes in retirement? That's a little bit out of my purview, uh, but what I would say is that uh, you know retirees are a pretty solid voting block. So you can just about guarantee that the rest of us will have our tax situation changed far far in advance of that affecting any retirees. So there is some uh, there is some some good news there, I suppose. But you know we got this giant bill to pay it was twenty trillion dollars uh, at historically low interest rates. Eventually, we're going to start need to pay be paying some of that bill, even if we never pay off any principal. You know, as interest rates come up, that interest bill is going to grow. So it's likely, if it's not income taxes, it's going to be, you know, the taxability of Social Security, or it's going to be your Medicare Part B premiums, or it's going to be fees and licenses. There's going to be some way that the government's going to be able to get their hands in your back pockets. Uh, so we need to account for that. You know, we need to be sure that we're not living paycheck to paycheck while we're working and also not paycheck to paycheck in retirement. We need to have a little bit of 
cushion in our retirement plans. Most of the time that's going to be achieved by maintaining a significant growth portion, maybe that's 60% stocks, of your retirement portfolio to account for those unknowns like taxes. I mean, if we're, if I'm an expert in taxes today and I know every line item of the tax code, that's not that information is going to be no good in a year or especially 10 or 15 years from now because it's an ever-changing thing. So um, save up lots of money, have a big cushion, uh, and, and ride the wave. What do you do to help people with estate planning? Do you find when they come to you they don't have wills and healthcare powers of attorney and trust and all that set up? Is that something you help them do? Well, we're a little strange, Jordan, in that we have an asset minimum and an asset maximum in order to have a laser focus on the blue-collar retiree. A lot of our, a lot of our retirees worked uh, in, in coal mine-affiliated or oil field-affiliated businesses. So you know, we have a $5 million asset maximum. We don't accept any clients over that amount because we don't want to focus on advanced estate planning and family foundations and crats and cruts and all those sort of fancy things I had to learn during the CFP exam. Uh, so, you know, we don't do any advanced estate planning. If that was ever a need, we would bring in an outside attorney to help us do that, which we've done in the past. Uh, but as far as basic estate planning, ev- and that's part of our data gathering process, everybody's got to have a power of attorney. Uh, you know, if, if you've got an IRA, only you can do transactions on that account. Your spouse cannot do it. Um, so if you die, then that's not as big of a deal because they would just inherit that if they're the beneficiary. But if you become incapacitated, that is really a problem because your spouse isn't going to be able to, to access those funds. So you need a power of attorney to allow her to do that, a springing power of attorney. Uh, we also like to make sure all of our clients have health care directives uh, and then a basic will. If they have minor children or if they have children that they kind of want to uh, control from beyond the grave, then you know we would, we would list those goals and we would have an attorney draft up a trust. So a lot of people come to probably don't have those things put together. Is that what you're saying? Uh, a lot of people have dodged the bullet long enough to make it to retirement without a will, which uh, flabbergasts me. But yeah, it does happen. Um, uh, but we strongly encourage them to get a will. We'll, we'll, we'll set the appointment with the attorney. We will go to the attorney appointment with you to make sure it gets done, if that's what it comes to. Very good. My guest this hour has been Benjamin Brandt. Uh, he's an investment advisor and financial, certified financial planner at Capital City Wealth Management based in Bismarck, North Dakota. You can find out more about him and his podcast at his website, which is retirementstartstoday.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Ben. Hey, I had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much. Next, We'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 